Support for this episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere is brought to you by MX Publishing, with the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world. New novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the Wes Express, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wesexpress.com. And by Dan Andriaco's latest Sebastian McCabe, Jeff Cody series. The latest title, No Ghosts Need Apply, is now available. Find out more at danandriaco.com. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jacket office. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger shooter regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. And I'm Bert Wolder. And Bert, is it possible... Is it possible that we can represent not only Sherlock Holmes, but you in 221 objects? If, if we had 221 objects to represent you in, what would they consist of? Well, that's easy to answer. First of all, there would be 211 pairs of socks. <laughs> and then, hold on a minute while I count my neckties. Wait a minute. Oh, and if I count my cufflinks, I think I'm going to need more than 221. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, I'm glad to hear that you said 211 pairs of socks rather than 211 socks, because that would have uh, that would have been a little awkward and you would have been limping at the time. Yeah. So I don't know how I got them. You know, I only have two pairs of shoes. I can't. They, it must be the collected accumulation of all those Christmases. Well, do you have a dryer uh, somewhere in your house that's spitting them out like a reverse dryer? Usually ours eats them. I do. Have, I do have a dryer, but. He only comes after the washer, and I haven't been able to get a hold of that guy. Oh, well, uh, if you would like to get a hold of the show notes for this episode, they are available at ihose.co slash ihose227. That will bring you to the ihearofsherlock.com website. You can poke around there. You can sign up for email updates if you like. We will make sure that you get the essential updates on our website and from our podcast whenever uh, they come out. Of course, our shows here come out the 15th and 30th of every month, like clockwork, I tell you. Um, so make sure you are subscribed on the podcast player of your choice, uh, where you can be sure not to miss a single episode. And of course, we also have a companion show called Trifles, where we look at some of the details in the Sherlock Holmes stories. You can subscribe on Trifles as well. <laughs> Well, our our guest here today is a name that will be familiar to people because he's been on the show a number of times before. Uh, Glenn Maranker, BSI, invested in the Baker Street Irregulars as the origin of tree worship. Glenn retired from Apple Computer, where he was Apple's chief technology officer of hardware, and now lives in San Francisco. Now, Glenn's collection includes first editions, manuscript material, artwork, association copies, ephemera, recordings, canonical writings, pirated editions, a definitive collection of Charlie McCarthy as Sherlock, teaspoons, and a notebook where Arthur Conan Doyle scribbled the words, Killed Holmes. Glenn is a member of the Friends of Irene Adler, the Speckled Band of Boston, the Scourers and Molly Maguires, and a founding board member of the Baker Street Irregulars Trust. He's given many talks about 
book collecting and Sherlock Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle to the Grolier Club, the Roxburgh Club, the University of Minnesota Library, and the Toronto Reference Library, among others. Glenn Maranker, welcome back to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. I'm very pleased to join you guys, and I uh, look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully in January. I know. We've, we've had a year off of the BSI weekend in person. Of course, in 2021, uh, the BSI uh, congregated virtually, which was a first in the organization's history. And uh, we are all going back to New York in uh, January of 2022, which is part of the reason we wanted to talk to you today. You have a little exhibit, a little exhibition <laughs> that you're, you're kicking off, don't you? Yes. Uh, on uh, January 12th, uh, there'll be uh, an exhibition opening at the Groyer Club in New York. Um, the the Groyer Club was established to bad memory, I think, in the 1870s, the 1880s or something. Uh, and it's a club of the book. Uh, publishers, uh, authors, collectors, librarians, and uh, with regularity... They have an uh, exhibition. They have a large, large exhibition space on their first floor. And this January, they're opening an exhibition entitled Sherlock Holmes and 221 Objects. And these objects are pieces from my collection. So... Well, we, we are excited as ever because not everybody gets to go visit your collection in San Francisco. And as a collector, I mean, this is part of why you do what you do. I mean, and, and I know the time I visited your, your home, one of the times I visited your home, you're just so happy to, to share uh, what it is that you've collected over the years. So I've got to imagine that taking part of your collection out of its home base and bringing it to New York must fill you with a lot of emotion. Well, it, it absolutely does. And to, uh, uh, on topic, but slightly different, I think that um, uh, collectors ha uh, have an obligation, a delightful obligation, a pleasurable obligation to uh, make their uh, stuff, their holdings available to interested people, part, you know, interested parties, um, in high, you know, hiding it in a, in a in a room or in a warehouse away from uh, eyes is certainly for me not not part of what collecting is all about. Mm. And I, I have, as as uh, uh, I think we've even discussed on IHOs, uh, in a number of forums, uh, uh, had the pleasure of uh, contributing materials or or inviting people to see materials that I've been fortunate enough to add to my collection. But certainly uh, uh, the Grolio Club in New York is astounding even to me, especially to me. So, so Glenn, Glenn, 221, 221 objects. Um, um, what was, what was, what was the process, process, process by which, which you decided... And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the scope of your collection, is is are these 221 objects 2%, 20%, 60% of your collection? There, Have you ever counted everything you've collected? Uh, uh, there are approximately 8,000 items in my collection. Um, and I would say probably all but number like two or 300 are in fact books or uh, uh, books and magazines. And uh, well, 221 came about for a, uh, a couple of very practical and, 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 and a couple of high-minded reasons. The high-minded reason is of course 221 is, is a very poetic number to Sherlockians, perhaps not uh, uh, bibliomaniacs in general, but certainly to Sherlockians. In fact, I even contemplated taking one book and cutting it in half so that it could be 221B objects, but I, <laughs> I, I, I decided against that. Good. Wise Good choice. Thinking. 
Yes. Um, that would and, have been the, the Houdini other, part of the collection. The other, <laughs> uh, the other um, uh, reason is that uh, that is uh, about the capacity of the exhibition hall. Uh, they, they were advising me strongly to do 170 items max in the neighborhood of 170, 180 items max. And, um, I very methodically made, uh, paper cutouts of all the display walls and all the display cases and managed to arrange my 221 things in an attractive way, not crowded. So it's 221. Oh, great. So you did the curation then. You're the oh no! Absolutely no! No absolutely! Oh yeah! No absolutely! Um, the the um, I did the curation. Um, uh, uh, Kathy, my wife, Kathy was uh, lending uh, 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 quite a bit of help. Um, she's a spectacular, talented writer. Um, her deep background, of course, is journalism. I, I don't know if you, you gents know that. Um, and then as time wore on. She just got drawn in and she started writing and working on. So, in fact, um, I, I changed the listing. I have her listed as co-curator for the exhibition, which is not which is absolutely appropriate. Well, I mean, when you think back to our, our history, you know, we talked with you, I think, on episode 79 for the first time about your collection, how you got started. It's really Kathy who's responsible for your uh, Sherlock Holmes mania, isn't it? No, it is absolutely no question about it. Can, it, it, can I repeat the story or should we sure. just book it? Um, I was in, uh, this was, we would, we had been married just for a few months and, uh, I was still in grad school and, uh, home one Saturday, no doubt extremely grumpy I, as I was most of the time I was in grad school working away. And Kathy went out for a walk and said, and, and, uh, oh, at that point, uh, I, I had no, literally no collection. I had the two-volume Doubleday of the Sherlock Holmes stories. I belonged to several societies. So I had certainly evinced an, uh, uh, an unnatural affection for, the, for Sherlock Holmes and the stories, uh, but uh, absolutely nothing on the collecting front. And she came back from this walk, and she said, I brought you a present to cheer me out. And she hands me this book, which was an American first edition of the Casebook of Sherlock Holmes. And I'm studying it, and a light bulb went off in my head. I said, gee, you, you don't have to be uh, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan to, to collect books. And I asked her where she got it, and she had, by chance, stumbled into this uh, uh, antiquarian book fair uh, at the Gutman Library at Har in the basement of the Gutman Library at Harvard, and I said, "Gee, is it open tomorrow?" And yeah, it was a typical, you know, Saturday Sunday book fair. So we went the next day, and uh, there I was uh, fortunate enough to meet these two fellows, uh, Peter Stern, at, uh, at with his card table filled with books, and this very helpful fellow, Dan Poznanski, and they uh, both took me under their wings. And that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't hurt to have uh, mentors of that caliber. No question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely fabulous. And again, I think I, 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 my favorite my favorite story about Dan uh, is um, uh, some weeks after I had met him. And, and of course, they had uh, given me my introductory lectures on book collecting and where to do it, and where to go in Boston and so forth. And um, I had bumped, I bumped into Dan on, on Harvard Square a small number of weeks later. And uh, I invited him over to my house, uh, uh, to my apartment, to, to take a look at my uh, growing book collection. I don't remember what I had, but it was a shelf and it, was, it had this many books, this, this many Sherlock Just Holmes. Maybe books. a foot and a half or two feet worth of books. A foot and a half. Okay. And uh, Dan came over and looked at them, was very uh, uh, nice and complimentary, and said, you know, I, I, I really have to rush off, but why don't we get together next weekend and spend a little more time? And Dan came over the next weekend with three or four book boxes filled with 
Sherlockian books, writings about the writings and so forth. And he holds them up to my flat and said, Glenny, these are the basic books that you need for a Sherlockian collection. And he just gave me That's books, three boxes of books. Classic Dan. Classic, classic Dan. Dan. We're going to pause here a moment for a quick word from our sponsor. You've heard them on here before, and now they are back. It is the Sebastian McCabe Jeff Cody Mystery Series by Dan Andriaco. You've heard of the novels No Police Like Holmes, Holmes Sweet Holmes, The 1895 Murder, and more. Well, they're back on September 28th with the latest title, No Ghosts Need Apply. Sherlock Holmes, of course, said to Dr. Watson, the world is big enough for us, no ghosts need apply. But McCabe and Cody, well, they don't have a choice when a popular reality TV show comes to their native Erin, Ohio, to record a Halloween special about some entity that's disturbing the local gastropub known as the Speakeasy. What was expected to be some fun publicity for the pub turns into a nightmare after someone is shot to death one night in the same place and in the same way as Jackie O'Brien almost 100 years earlier. The police chief recognizes this is Mac and Jeff's kind of case, but they're forced to become virtual sleuths for most of the time when the restaurant and most businesses are shut down because of covid before he solves the murder and a second homicide, Mac makes an embarrassing blunder in one lesser case and scores a great triumph in another. Make sure you check out No Ghosts Need Apply by Dan Andriaco at danandriaco.com today. It's funny you should mention that story because we just spoke with Rebecca Romney. Uh, oh yes, I'm a big, oh, I, I'm a big fan of Rebecca. And one of the one of her insights, which I just loved hearing her talk about and thinking about it, is that is that your collections become sort of an autobiography. And here, you know, you have your you there in Boston with Kathy, you know, at this sort of seminal moment. Um, it really is exactly that. You know, you must be able now to look back on your collection and see um, a lot of you, well, your life, you know, just laid out in front of you. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. I certainly um, a firm believer that a, a book collection reflects the personality of the collector. Um, and, and so that's... Um, that's sort of part and parcel of Rebecca's uh, uh, observation, I think. And it is certainly the case that um, uh, I, I would say at this point it's most, not all. For a good long time, it was in, in every book in my collection, uh, I remembered uh, uh, where I got it, where I was in my life, where we had been living and so forth. Uh, but uh, perhaps age is catching up with me. I would say probably only three quarters of them uh, are uh, that evocative. But uh, nevertheless, uh, absolutely true. It's a um, uh, stop-action picture of my life. Yeah. Well, and now... We, as uh, observers, as collectors ourselves, we get a very interesting view into you, into your life, Glenn. So um, before we get into the specific items that you selected and why you selected them, um, talk to us about how this came about. I mean, are you a member of the Grolier Club? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did this all, what's the genesis of uh, the, the exhibition? Well, yes to all of that. <laughs> um, I, no, no, no. I, uh, I had been invited a million years ago uh, uh, to give a talk at the Groyer Club, and I gave a talk on Sherlock and collecting Sherlock. It's got to be 
geez, maybe 30 years ago. And uh, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, a couple of the members uh, put me up for membership and I, I became a member. But the 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 and, uh, exhibition what, and and for those who are uninitiated, what is the Grolier Club? If, if you were to walk in off the street, what what is it? Uh, give me one second, if you will. The Gro- the Grolier Club is a club of the book. Uh, its members are uh, publishers, writers. Uh, librarians, curators, collectors, um, uh, folks who have a uh, non-trivial affection and, and um, uh, association with books, and um, they have a very active. They have a wonderful library. Uh, excuse me. There's a club. It's on uh, East 60th in Manhattan. Uh, it has a wonderful library, uh, uh, several uh, meeting uh, pl- meeting rooms or rooms where uh, a talk can be given. And there's a large uh, uh, exhibition hall on the main floor. Um, and in the, uh, in the smaller rooms or, uh, and in the uh, main exhibition hall, they with regularity um, have uh, exhibits, exhibitions. These exhibitions are, of course, uh, topical. Topics can be a, su- a subject or a particular collection or something like that. Um, and a uh, very active club. They have uh, lectures uh, with uh, some frequency at the club. Um, I-, I believe nearly all the activities are open to the public. Oh, um huh. You, I didn't know, uh, I didn't know that. You're uh, uh, asked to call ahead. It's more a crowd management issue than an exclusive, you know, than an exclusion issue, uh, particularly now, uh, where uh, uh, there are now two reasons to uh, restrict attendance. You know, the fire marshal and the pandemic. Uh, but it's um, uh, quite a welcoming place. Now, if I don't. I mean, if I recall correctly, the Grolier Club was featured or was actually the backdrop in that documentary that came out just a couple of years ago, The Booksellers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, in the in the small world, kind of, I, I know Mr. Kennard, uh, but socially, not through not through not through books, not through filmmaking, <laughs> but for through uh, drinking a single malt scotch. That's probably the best way. Um, well, no argument from me. Now, uh, before we, before we get on to uh, talking about the the genesis of the the project here, um, oh, oh I, I did I did skip through one thing. You asked how the uh, exhibition came about. Yeah, but before we do that, um, just a, a, by way of sidebar, the BSI did 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 Julian ever host cocktail parties at the the Grolier Club, or did the BSI ever have cocktail parties there? You know, I can't answer. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I, certainly, certainly um, uh, appropriate uh, uh, third parties, so to speak, are, are uh, uh, you know, welcome to use the facility, you know, with prior arrangements and yeah, so on. Yeah. Well, that, that just stuck in, in um, the lore of my memory. For some, I've never had it confirmed, but just wondered. Um so, so talk with us a little more about about the genesis of the exhibition, how this came about. Well, the, the Grolier Club frequently holds meetings, not from time to time, holds meetings on the road, so to speak. Um, to my knowledge, it's always asso- they're associated with some notable book fair or something like that, and they will and they will just hold a meeting in whatever city it happens to be. Ha- ha- having uh, this notable book event. And maybe half a dozen years ago, the Grolier Club had a meeting in San Francisco uh, in in conjunction with the San Francisco Antiquarian Book Fair. And uh, I can't remember either Bruce Crawford or or Eric Holzenberg uh, got in touch with me beforehand. They said, uh, rumor has it that you have an interesting collection. Could we come by and see it? 
course I said yes. And um, so in conjunction with this uh, Grow Your Club meeting, in conjunction with the San Francisco, the uh, Grow Your Club came over. The, the, the members that were here came over and um, he perused my collection at the end of which uh, Bruce said, you need to have an exhibition at the club. And, I, I'm surprised um, they didn't say the club needs to have an exhibition at your place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, it's, it's, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a, a routine deal, but it's kind of a big deal. The, uh, uh, mover is coming in about uh, two, three weeks to gather up the 221 objects and ship them to New York City. Have you ever loaned out any pieces of your collection before? Yes, I have. Um, uh, the um, you, You'll probably remember, but uh, again, uh, a handful of years ago, there was an exhibition at the uh, University of the City of London um, uh, Sherlock Holmes, the man who never lived and so can never die. Um, and, uh, at the last minute, meaning three or four or five months before opening, but, in, you know, museum scale, that's like now, or that's like too late or yesterday. <laughs> um, uh, they, they had arranged for a number of pageants to be on display. Uh, and every one of them somehow fell through. So the pageants that were used for that display were, were mine. Um, I sent uh, five to uh, London for that exhibition. Um, I've also, um, shortly before that, was the sesquicentennial of uh, Paget's birth, and... Um, I have to confess a monumental failure. I, I made a handful of calls trying to get places who will not be named, uh, uh, appropriate places to put on some uh, festivities in conjunction with his birthday. And uh, uh, none of that was successful. So at the uh, uh, Orion Press here in San Francisco, Fine Arts Press, um, they um, they have an exhibition space. I put on a uh, Paget sesquicentennial celebration, so that was. Um, but that didn't require a moving company. It was close enough. Several trips in my car could get the the Pagets over to put them up for the exhibition. Um, so that that's two examples. Um, an interesting uh, an in, uh, a handful of the items that were on display for the uh, BSI Trust uh, exhibit at the Lily were also from my collection. Do you, um, w w when you prepare for something like that, for, for an exhibition, for sending them out, I mean, uh, I have to imagine as a collector, it's like, like sending your children off into the world. You, I mean, you, you know you've prepared them properly, but, but you hope nothing happens to them while they're out and about. Well, no, I, you're absolutely right. And and as a proof positive of your observation, when I uh, set, sent the uh, pageants to England, um, I did not send the, uh, my, the pageant I have from the Hound. I didn't want to take any risks. That's now, that said... Uh, when the moving company came to pick them up, they made these unbelievably elaborate crates. And when the museum sent them back, uh, they arrived cleaner and in better condition than when I had lent them. <laughs> so, so, uh, an incentive my, to my do it again. Yeah. My anxieties were misplaced. Yeah. But, but nevertheless, to your question, yeah, I, I just I didn't want to take any risk whatsoever uh, with the uh, Hound pageant. Mm. So, um, so when they when they uh, said to you, you know, they, they visited your home and they, they they said we need to do an exhibition. How long ago was that? How, how much time? Be, it, it has to be half a dozen years now. Okay, uh, and I'm not exactly sure. Uh, what the delay was. There weren't any discussions or difficulties, just the, you know, the, it, it just became the right time. 
uh, and um, we had some, and, and we made the and the cat the, the the club's calendar uh, is typically full. My understanding is typically full for like eighteen months or so. So we in fact made this decision about two years ago to do this, and then start and then immediately started praying that the pandemic would only last you know six or eight or ten months. Stick with us. We'll be back after this brief word from our sponsor. As we're getting near the holiday season, you know our friends from MX Publishing have all kinds of books to offer. However, the last order date to get your books in time for the holidays was October 31st. So if by chance you miss this deadline, just know two things. One, you can certainly get all of MX Publishing's titles from other sites like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. But even more interesting, there are audiobook collections available from MX Publishing, so you can get your books delivered electronically and still enjoy them in time for the holidays. You've got titles such as Memoirs from Mrs. Hudson's Kitchen by Wendy Heyman Marsaw, Sherlock Holmes and the Cornwall Affair by Johanna Reiki, Sherlock and Irene by Chris Chan, and many, many more titles. They're available for you if you like to have some entertainment between your ears. And as a listener of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, we are sure that you do. So just get on over to mxpublishing.com and check out the audiobook collections today. You mentioned before that Kathy uh, is, is, a, is a journalist, and uh, she kind of, uh, well, this project kind of grew on her the more time that both of you spent on it together. Um, it's got to be a, a, a pretty wonderful kind of full circle for her to, to see what she began um, now ending up at the at the Grolier Club, uh, being someone who has appreciated book collecting and um, everything that goes with it along. Oh, it was it. it was it was it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, Kathy has uh, uh, always been supportive of, uh, of of my collecting and uh, talking about you know talking on the on the subject of Sherlock or book collecting uh, and so forth. The only notable change in that, no, 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 no laughing. The only notable change was I would say call it five years ago. Uh, when I'd say, gee, Kathy, an XYZ is coming up for auction and, I'm, and I'd like to bid on it. Uh, she would ask, how does this make your collection better? Wow. And if I had an answer, that was the, that was the end. <laughs> and if I didn't have an answer, I went off to my library and I thought about it for a longer while. What did she <laughs> know I wanted it. Uh, yeah. You're right. But what what had she said before then? What what was her typical interaction with you like? Uh, it, it, she 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 would she just would be you know happy for me and say you know well you should get it then. So what changed? Um, I, I think the magnitude of the collection. You mean the how does it make you the fact that it's um, uh, uh, well we remodeled our home. 10 years ago, say, and we took uh, two, two bedrooms and made them one room, which is now my library. And since then, besides it being uh, horribly crowded, uh, what used to be our guest room is now the library annex. <laughs> I've been in that closet there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, I, I think, and to be absolutely fair, it's 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 simply the the, the scope and, and scale of things because something which is uh, not even uh, nodded at, so to speak, uh, in in the exhibition are writings about the writings or pastiches and, and so forth. Uh, not not that uh, 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 not because I, I don't think they're wonderful and worthy and interesting. Uh, but I wanted to tell uh, as, as good and complete a story that, as I could, and that of necessity required narrowing the scope. Mm. 
So when when Kathy worked with you on these, did she know the background of these items? Did she interview you? How how did she come up with uh, the words to oh. tell the story? Well, in a number of ways, but but the most most fruitful and the most enjoyable is she would interview me. But um, uh, she really dug in. I mean, we would be we would be there, McClure. And, uh, I, of course, I have a McClure biography. And she said, well, get me a couple of more biographies. And I'd get some more biographies. And she'd read the darn things. And, and although there may be, you know, 20 sentences about McClure himself in the catalog or in the gallery, uh, you know, handout, um, one, uh, she's quite an expert on SS. This is just an example. Uh, on S.S. McClure and and what he did, which is quite notable. Uh, for example, uh, he's credited uh, with being uh, uh, the first guy to syndicate at a national level uh, material for newspapers and stuff. Um, now, uh, the um, and 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 no doubt this is why we see. Copies of the Sherlock Holmes story in the you know the St. Louis Dispatch and the and the Kansas City you know blower and the, et cetera uh, was and uh, he was uh, such a, a dynamic and persuasive guy that a phrase which comes up in other people's biographies or autobiographies with respect to him saying that you know uh, having a chat with him and having him enthused about a project of his was referred to as being McClured. And uh, I owe all this knowledge to Kathy and her researches. That's that's just, that's but that's a a typical example. That's not, there's not like, you know, one or two or three of those. Uh, 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 A goodly number of the um, publishers, uh, uh, some of the detail about, the relationship between Wood and Conan Doyle, uh, she dug very deeply into. Um, no, she's become an expert. So, so Glenn, so, you know, this point about how does this item make your collection better? What's what's an example of something recently, you know, in the last year or so that, you know, you've acquired? And, and how do you make that judgment, you know, about about making the collection better? You know, what, what are the dimensions of that? Well, if I could uh, 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 go in a slightly different direction. The first, the fir- the fir- the first the, the thing which uh, uh, characterizes my collection is uh, I like to collect clumps. And any number of people, including Kathy, have been after me to come up with a more dignified word than clumps, you know, something like constellation or whatever. But there are groups of things. It might be a group of books. It might be groups plus a letter. It might be, it might, excuse me, it might be books plus a letter. It might be uh, 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 an illustration uh, and so forth. And you put these objects together. And they tell a much more complete, much richer story than any of the individual objects. I, I, I liken it to the difference between um, uh, listening to a solo instrument, which can be glorious, and, and, and listening to chamber music. You get a much more broader, complete, colored, colorful uh, experience, knowledge. So, you know, an example of that is um, uh, I acquired a uh, letter uh, uh, from Doyle to uh, Collier. Um, uh, Both the date and the material of the letter, uh, uh, it's clearly regarding the publication of the stories that we now know as The Return. And uh, the letter goes something along the lines, um, uh, you know, my dear Collier, I had no idea it was you at the other end of the, nego- the, the, the so spirited negotiations. But I'm pleased we're finally, we finally came to an agreement. Uh, and I'm pleased that you're uh, amenable to publishing the stories, not necessarily in the order in which they have been written. Now, which is richer? 
a copy of the return or a copy, no matter how magnificent it is, or a copy of the return in conjunction with this letter. That really, that tells a story. And uh, in January, uh, you'll get to see the letter. Well, that's fabulous. So that's that's that's, uh, that, that's that's an or uh, a slightly uh, a slightly less glorious, but one that I get the same pleasure out of. Um, I have a, uh, a fairly ordinary book. It's a pirated copy of the Sign of Four by the United States Book Company. You know the Blue Book. The, 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 you know it's um, and uh, the uh, this particular copy, uh, one on the end paper has uh, the ownership signature of H.N. Higginbotham. And uh, on the title page, it's inscribed to Higginbotham by Conan Doyle. And uh, now the association copies are fabulous, but that's, and this is enough to make this, for me, uh, a spectacular book. And and you guys know, because I'm pretty sure you've heard my talk, you know, when is a book more than a book, right? Where what makes the book is the backstory. The book per se is ordinary. The story's the text block has got the same words in it, you know, give or take a typo, as any of, as 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 the ten dollar penguin, as the online free PDF, etc. So it's not the tech, it's not the story that makes this book, so to speak. Um, it's 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 publishing history, it's the provenance, the particular travels of this particular volume. At any rate. I, I did some research, and it turns out that Harlow and Higginbotham was, it was a Chicago worthy in the latter latter part of the of the nineteenth century. Uh, among other things, he was one of the founders of Marshall Fields, uh, a, a quite wealthy man, and uh, a notable um, for his charity giving, his support of education for the poor, of feeding the poor. And he was also the uh, president of the uh, Columbian, the, the World's Fair that they held in Chicago in 1893. It was it was in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of Christopher Columbus discovering America. And so it was the Columbian Exhibition in Chicago. And uh, he was the president of the organizing, financing, whatever committee. So that's Harlow. And uh, by digging through a bunch of of, of contemporary contemporary uh, 1890s newspapers, came across a story where while, while Cannon Doyle, not Conan, Cannon Doyle, uh, was uh, le- you know gave a few lectures in Chicago, and as part of his visit um, at the uh, gracious home of Harlem and Hickenbotham. Uh, he gave a talk and attended a dinner in his honor. So my supposition is Higginbotham invited Doyle over for dinner. Doyle, of course, accepted. Uh, Higginbotham ran out to the local bookstore, quick bought a couple of books for him to sign. Uh, his ownership signature is, uh, by the way, is dated the day of the dinner. Um, and then it, and I presume complete innocence, you know, Dr. Doyle, would you please sign my book? And Doyle's going, God damn it, another one of those pirated <laughs> editions. But being a, gra- being a gracious guest, he signed it. That, that's all supposition. I shared the facts. Now, Glenn, how do you know that that's really Harlow and Hickenbotham's signature, his ownership signature? Glenn knows because he went out and bought an admission ticket for the 1893 Columbian Exposition, every one of which was signed by Harlow and Higginbotham, the president. You did. You did ask how did I how did I pick the particular things, and um, uh, I decided. Well, first of all, it, it, it could only be about the stories themselves. It, it would be impossible to talk about uh, writings about the writings or pastiches and so forth. Um, uh, I didn't see any sensible place to start except at the beginning, you know, with a study and so forth. And as we started pulling things together, it seemed that both a, a decent ending point, both uh, in terms of the story being told, um, uh, would have been uh, the publication of The Return. Okay. 
Um, and um, so that so that, within that, that time that includes that, through the hound through of the, the basketball, right? right? Yes, no, no, no. Yes, that period of time. And not only that, it includes the the, the Gillette play. I include that. I mean, that's eighteen ninety nine, right? So. So, so uh, you know, every any home, I I I, I decided that any anything Holmes related, starting with a, starting with a study and ending with a return, would be okay, would, would be fair game, and and so that was that was that, that's where I drew materials from. Great. So, Glenn, as as we wrap up here. Um, when someone visits this exhibition, whether they are a Sherlockian or not, whether they're associated or even know about the Baker Street Irregulars or not, what do you hope they take away from it? Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely! I hope they take away from it two, two things: uh, how uh, rich and complicated and involved the. Um, uh, uh, publication history, the early publication history of these stories, these books was. Um, again, uh, uh, pirates, there are more cases, uh, there are two cases uh, dedicated to pirate editions. Not, nothing else has more than one case. That's because uh, there were a lot of pirates. Well, and it's a very complicated story. I mean, you know, uh, for example, uh, all the pirate, all the pirated editions that were published by department stores, and why, and where, and how. Just as a, as a for instance, there are, uh, if you pardon the expression, there are sub stories within the within the larger story. So, um, and. Um, uh, we all know that, uh, you know, uh, in retrospect, Doyle owes a great thank you to the U.S. pirate publishers. They they made his popularity. I'm, I'm not telling you anything you guys don't know, but it was, you know, it was a huge part of his success. Well, and those those pirated editions typically only extend through the sign of four, right? I mean, after that with the adventures... Uh, and, you know, all of the individual stories, they kind of they, they, they locked up copyright after that. Right. Well, there were uh, four uh, stories. And when you go to the exhibit, you'll find out just what the story behind this is in detail. But there were four of the short stories that did not have copyright protection. OK, but they were early on. Yeah, they were early. They, they were in the adventures. They were yeah. in the adventures. So, I mean, if anything, to your point, this kind of. This distribution mechanism made Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes more famous uh, by virtue of it being spread everywhere. So then when uh, the publications were locked down to certain publishers, certain uh, newspapers uh, and, uh, and magazines, etc., uh, then people had to go buy those. And, and suddenly there was a larger audience for those publishers to cater to. Like I said, his popularity was made, you know, easy to argue, is, is, has been and is, and is relatively straightforward to argue was made by these pilot, pirate publishers. I mean, besides newspapers and the Bible, uh, books were prohibitively expensive. Uh, again, I go through some analogous things, but you, you know, you know, a hardbound or a legit hardbound copy of the sign of four in, you know, 1895, you know, a few years after, after its uh, first publication was, uh, you know, a day or two salary for a laborer. Um, uh, a paperback pirate, not a hardbound pirate, but a paperback pirate could be had for, you know, 25 cents. Uh, hardbound could be had for a buck, which is still, you know, okay. A couple hours work, but, but, you know, within reach, um, and certainly a quarter was within. You know, I shouldn't say certainly. God only knows how those people lived on that on that kind of money. But uh, but hard, a, a legit hardbound book was you know three, four, five dollars. That was Glenn. Speaking of books, um, you know, one of the questions that our listeners might have is, gee, you know, I'm not going to be able to get to New York. I'll bet a lot of this 
is not going to be available online. Um, there is a very handsome book that will accompany this exhibition, isn't there? Oh, yes, there absolutely is. And in, in, in fact, I, I got my own copy just yesterday. <laughs> uh, there, is a, there is a catalog uh, that's being published with respect to this. And I might also add, uh, it, it, it hasn't been assembled yet, but the Grolia Club puts together very nice uh, online uh, uh, representations of the exhibitions. Um, and, uh, so there's every reason to expect that they'll do that for, for this as well. Uh, but the catalog, uh, is, um, I, of course I think it's lovely. And, um, I went to the printer myself and, and, uh, uh for the print run and I, I proofed the colors on every damn page as they came off. Good for you. Oh well, actually, I have to say I had a fabulous time. The 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 the, the uh, printer was uh, in, in fact in Vancouver, uh, so I went up to Vancouver and they treated me like a king. I mean, I was and and they were and it's a wonderful, wonderful printing house. Just everybody was smart, enthusiastic, good at what they did, excited about doing a project which wasn't, you know. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they do normally, but it wasn't. It wasn't a cock. It wasn't an you know a, uh, end table book with of, of uh, you know scenes of the ocean. It was for a collector. You know, yeah. it's about a collection for a collector. It takes books very seriously. And how will that be available? The book. Um, the book will be available certainly through the Groyal Club. Um, I don't know uh, if there is another. Physically, the book is being stored and order fulfillment is being done by the Chicago University Press. And so there will be at least two play, two websites to go on and buy the book, the Chicago University Press and the Grolia Club. And, of course, we have uh, Sherlock in 221objects.org right now as a, a placeholder website. Yeah, that was. I just put that up so, uh, quickly. I, I did that website. I did that quickly. It's, it, it's only intended sort of like a business card. Certainly not as a, a, a representation of the exhibit as a as anything more than a business card. <laughs> well, we will we will include that in the show notes as well as a link to uh, the Grolier Club and the Chicago University Press, because this is a, uh, it's certainly an exhibition you don't want to miss, but because of the times and the way they are, and we realize not everyone is uh, close to or able to get to New York. Uh, the book will be, well, will have to be uh, a, a substitute for that experience. But if you're going to the exhibition, you might want to pick up the book too, just to uh, keep those memories with you. I leave it to people to follow their desires, their whims. Well, Glenn, thank you for following your whims and desires all these years and making your collection available to so many interested people. Thank you. I always enjoy speaking with you guys. You know, we've picked up so much good advice about collecting just in these last few episodes. Rebecca Romney's comment about how collections really can serve as a bit of autobiography. And here from Glenn, his wife, Kathy, you know, challenging him and saying, how does this make your collection better? Um, you know, it's a wonder, it, you know, it, I'd never thought about, you know, thinking objectively or relatively objectively about a collection and overcoming, you know, the general desire, you know, the vacuum cleaner nature of, hey, yeah, well, this is related to my interests, so I'll take two of those, you know, and thinking about, well, wait a minute now, what is this, what does this entire collection say, you know, and um, uh, how can this, you know, how can I time and focus my acquisitions so that I'm um, you know, improving the whole here, telling telling a more amplified and more interest, even more interesting story. I just thought that was great. It, it really was, and and I think Rebecca helped us um, 
and this wasn't the first time, helped us understand that to be a collector, it's really about narrowing your field of focus. Um, you know, we've spoken before about major collectors like John Bennett Shaw and how they had that vacuum cleaner-like discernment, um, <laughs> and that's almost impossible today. But even with the, uh, the, the micro-focus, um, I think there's an opportunity to go overboard. And, and I'll tell you exactly an, an exact reason that comes out of this episode. I've been to Glenn's house before, as I've said. I've been up to his library. I have seen, oh, gosh, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 copies of that 1948 blue carbuncle uh, uh, publication that the Baker Street Irregulars put out, yeah, yeah. both yeah, in yeah. a slip case and non-slip case, dust jacket, no dust jacket. Glenn had so many copies of these, and I'm wondering, like, why do you need all of those, right? And I think the fact that it was Kathy herself who was asking the question, how does this make your collection better? She's the conscience that every collector needs. She is a, the Jiminy Cricket of collectors. <laughs> well, unfortunately, when you wish upon a book, you, uh, you, uh, it will come true and you'll wind up with multiple copies <laughs> of uh, the Blue Carbuncle. But why didn't you ask Glenn? Why is it, Glenn, you've got this copy over here on the right and this copy over here on the left? I mean, maybe there was some, um, maybe they were, you know, the individual possessions of 12 notable people, and he was keen to recreate aspects of their library. Well, I don't think it's quite that <laughs> arcane, although it could have been, <laughs> knowing Glenn. But, um, you know, our, our, our friend, uh, Baker Street Irregular, fellow Baker Street Irregular, and um, uh, erstwhile guest on the show, Otto Penzler. Oh, I remember him. He does a series weekly mm. on YouTube. On YouTube, sure. Yeah. Uh, where he takes you through some part of collecting and, and, and some uh, some mystery genre. Well, most recently, he did a feature on collecting Sherlock Holmes. And he had a whole stack of books there, and he would tell you how much each one was going for at his shop, etc. But he kept coming back to the most important thing a collector can look for is condition. Condition, condition, condition. He said it's like the real estate equivalent of location, location, location. And I think from my recollection at Glenn's, this string of blue carbuncle publications, uh, one had a better condition than the next. Now, uh. in true collector fashion, Glenn never sold off the, pre the previous editions that he got. He just hung on to them. So... At some point, you know, you might refine your collection and say, okay, well, now that I've got yeah. the most pristine copy, let's get rid of all these other. Well, that's good advice, you know, and I, among other things, I really prize Sherlockian fellowship. And I think that I'm going to send Glenn a note and say, look, as he trims his collection, he could just send those cast offs to me, you know, and I, it's the least I can do is receive them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, little known fact, that's how you got me. <laughs> I, I I am in fact a cast off of, of Glenn's, Glenn's collection. collection. Yes, you know I understood that there was a big sort of spot, a dusty, <laughs> dusty, vacant spot on one of his shelves, and now I know. Now you know why. Now, now you know, I why. know why. Before we close out on this uh, this topic related to uh, Glenn and the collection, we should note that we've heard from the Grolier Club, and they will be offering an online version of the exhibition for people who aren't able to attend in person. And it will be running concurrently with the, uh, with the in-person collection. So if you're not able to be in New York for the kickoff, if you're not able to get there through April when the show is running, rest assured you will be able to see it on the Grolier Club's website. And we should also note that we have a whole list of items that are in the exhibition, and that will be included in the show notes for our Patreon supporters. And if you don't yet support the show on Patreon, just hit that uh, big orange button on our show notes or uh, the, the Become a Patron link, or simply go to patreon.com slash I hear of Sherlock everywhere. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a member of our Patreon organization and see some of the behind the scenes, some of the exclusive material that we have to offer 
our supporters. So thank you for that. Arthur Conan Doyle wrote 22 novels. The one he thought his best is an adventure story of knights and chivalry. 20-year-old Alan Edrickson travels the world encountering bullies, con artists, thieves, a damsel in distress, and two men who become his closest friends. Together they join the White Company, archers and fighters led by the gallant Sir Nigel Loring. Will our hero win the hand of Loring's romantic daughter Maud? Will the chivalrous Prince Edward restore Peter of Castile to his Spanish throne? Published in 1891 and never out of print, The White Company is a tale of pageantry and piracy, heraldry and hope, published now in an exclusive, annotated edition with the original N.C. Wyeth illustrations in blazing color. Don't you owe it to yourself to read Conan Doyle's favorite book? Get the annotated White Company at wessexpress.com. Oh, you know what time that is, right? Yes, we are giving away a piece of Glenn's collection. (laughs) No. Well, maybe we will. We'll see. No, it is time for the canonical couplet. That's right. We give you two lines of poetry, and you are expected to come back at us with what Sherlock Holmes story those two lines represent. Now, on the last episode, episode 226, we gave you this clue. Half asleep and half a faint. It was an ease from pain. The culprit was a villain that the science master named. Bert. Yeah. Do you do you know which story we're talking about this time? Yes, of course I do. You know, it's one of the one of the actually it's a major, one of my favorite Sherlock Holmes stories. It's the case about labor unrest at a Pennsylvania chewing gum factory that's the valley of fleer i just (laughs) do you have something stuck in the bottom of your shoe go take a look no i have something stuck in the middle of my forehead (laughs) i think it's this wall (laughs) oh dear oh dear no, uh, as usual, you are wrong, Bert. You're kidding. <laughs> no, I know, right? Why have I spent all these years reading this stuff? Uh, I, you know, I wish I could tell you. Maybe, <laughs> maybe inside the Bazooka uh, gum collection you have, your Bazooka Joe comics. Uh, well, uh, you Wait were- a minute, Bazooka Joe, didn't he become president? <laughs> Brandon. Um <laughs> Eric Deckers wrote in and said, uh, it's the story of how one representative from each of the different scions engage in mortal combat to see who shall rule during the annual scintillating conference. It's the adventure of the scions reign. Wait, that doesn't fit the chronology at all. It's actually the adventure of the lion's mane. Holmes crushed its brain with a piece of the terrain. <laughs> Good one, Eric. What a pain. I know. <laughs> that is right. It, we were looking for the adventure of the lion's mane. Uh, Eric was on the scent there. And let's see. Uh, we have a number of other people who wrote in. This has been very satisfying to see all of these entries. So uh, why don't we wheel out the big prize wheel and, and give it a big spin? <laughs> All right, going around and landing on number 35. Number 35. Oh, that's one of my favorite roulette numbers, actually. Uh, And that actually corresponds to Alicia Shea. Alicia, congratulations. Uh, We will be sending you a rare item. From our from our vaults. That's that's what we promised you, and that's exactly what we will send. A rare item from our vaults. Um, you know what, folks? We are going to have another rare item from our collection that is up this time. So I was thinking, Bert, with all of the things that we have in the IHO's vault, um, wouldn't it be 
fun to put up a listing of those, maybe some some images, and let people kind of choose their own prize for shows where we don't have an associated prize, like a book or whatever is being uh, promoted. Well, it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. Well, get, get right to work on that, would you? <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> I, uh, the problem is I sent somebody into the vault, you know. I think it was um, uh, Shrove Tuesday a couple of years ago, and they, <laughs> they haven't come out. Uh, uh, it's, it's like the old Jack Benny vault. I don't know if anybody remembers that from uh, radio. You can look that up. Um, Well, let's not keep uh, folks waiting this time around because, of course, once again, we have a wonderful canonical couplet available for your puzzling pleasure. And here it is. The housekeeper was little, dark, and looked with sidelong eyes. Sulky, guilty knowledge marked defiance in her eyes. Ah, if you know the answer to this canonical couplet, put it in an email addressed to comment at IHearOfSherlock.com with canonical couplet in the subject line. If you are among all of the correct answers submitted and we choose you at random, you win. Good luck. All right. How about that? Fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, we have another great show coming up in... Uh, just a couple of weeks, we are winding down 2021 in our 15th season, looking very much forward to the holidays and everything that comes there. We will tell you to get your books book orders in early because, well, supply chain issues. It's the same reason we're running into sending our, uh, our quiz uh, prizes out a little bit late. Supply chain, don't you know? <laughs> I think that's that's the universal excuse for everything. It's not my dog ate my homework or I overslept. <laughs> it's right. supply chain. That's right. I didn't finish my book report because my supply chain's been disrupted. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's finish this episode up when this is the perfectly well-supplied Scott Monty. And I'm stuck on a container in Singapore. I'm Burt Walder. <laughs> and together we say... The Games Afoot! <laughs> the, the Games Afoot! You know, I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes.